If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Friends, we're going to have a great conversation today. It's going to be about the power of a strategic plan, and we are going to have it with someone who I have known when I was prepping for this, I actually had to think back. I think I've known about a decade, maybe maybe a little bit longer. And so that's Denise Spivak. She is the chief executive officer of Centerlink, which is frankly more than just a national association for LGBTQ plus centers. It is a lifeline and incredible support for leaders of centers of LGBTQ plus organizations all across the country. And let me just share with you, Centerlink is doing especially important work with those organizations outside of maybe the big five or six most populated cities in the United States. And so I'm so excited to have Denise come on. And let me just share a little bit about Denise with you. So she's currently on her fourth career. Her fourth career is as a nonprofit leader and by her own admission, a nonprofit nerd. Before becoming a nonprofit First came to work in the nonprofit sector, then was a deputy director and then a CEO. Before joining the nonprofit sector, she was a broadcaster with Voice of America. She was in retail management, and she also was a search consultant and did executive search. So she's had a variety of careers. And as I said, I've known her really since she came to Centerlink about a decade or so ago. And I was also honored when Centerlink turned to me in 2018 and asked to help facilitate their strategic plan. And one of the reasons I really felt honored by that is because Centerlink does a lot of strategic planning projects for their own member organizations. Denise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dolph. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Well, let me just start by saying that, as I've already said, I know you personally have a lot of strategic planning experience as a facilitator as well, because you're often working with member centers. What are some ways that the planning process really focuses leaders? You know, I, I try and frame this for both leaders of centers who are, who are the employees, so the executive directors or CEOs and the board members. And it's like, look, your vision is the endpoint on that map. And, and your mission is kind of like your car. But the strategic plan is your map. 
So without it, you might have a mission. So you're all getting in the car, but then you're just sitting there going, where are we going? And again, you might have a vision, but you don't know how you're going to get there. So to me, the strategic plan is that really core roadmap that you need to get from point A to point B. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. And, and I really love the metaphor of like, okay, you're just sitting in the car. It's kind of like yeah. just sitting in your driveway being like, all right, we're going to go to California one day. Yep. Don't yep. know how, but we're going to go. Right. Exactly. And, th and then each of those elements on the strategic plan is like your gasoline, right? I mean, it just keeps you on track. It keeps you on course. And and I, I struggle to see, and, and I see the struggle when there isn't a strategic plan or any sort of plan in place to help guide an organization to reaching their vision and to achieving their mission. Yeah. Hey, and I'll say, I mean, like, I think that word guide is also what's so critical because I know often as we're finishing up strategic plans, we end up having conversations with organizations where we'll say, you know, think of your strategic plan as a living document. You probably don't want to blow it up every year. But, you know, this is a guide. If you find you're falling behind, okay, that, that's just a sign you need to figure out what you're going to do to either catch up or rethink about what you can actually get done in a year or two years or five years. Right. Right. And, you know, it's interesting, Dolph, because I often quote you, you uh, when you were helping us with one of our boot camps, you had said with the vision, right, that it's it's like the movies when that guy comes on and says, in a world. So so that's a vision really is kind of a long way off. And so for most of us through our career with an organization, that strategic plan is never done. You know, I hear people saying, well, we're finished with this strategic plan. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like, it's it's that living, breathing thing that is is your constant guide. And so and then ultimately, great. Hope you put yourself out of business. You've achieved your mission. You've made the world a better place. That's awesome. But but in the interim, like, it's just a vital tool. Right, right. Although, you know, I will also say, um, it's funny when we say, you know, hope you put yourself out of business, because certainly within the LGBTQ plus community, there's a famous instance of an organization deciding that they've achieved their mission, closing up shop and then later regretting it. And that's in New York State, where the Empire State Pride agenda, you know, the, the old equality organization for New York, after marriage became a reality, said, well, we're in New York. Everything's great and perfect in New York. So in 2015, <laughs> yeah. they said, we're done. They closed up shop. And yeah. then 2016, happened yep yep it's it's true and, and you know you, you continue to see it um and sometimes it's funder based sometimes it's it's uh, organizationally based or board based but um i often have to really question those organizations that have fulfilled their mission i mean when you look at organizations like united way and boys and girls clubs and and you know we got a lot of nonprofits in the world with almost decades or I should, or almost like a, a century of of existence, and they still haven't fulfilled their mission. So I, I really have to wonder on a lot of in a lot of cases. Right, and I will also say, I mean, you know, this is where I think strategic planning comes in as well. There, you know, there's the famous case study, the March of Dimes, which mm -hmm. was founded to end polio in the United States among children. And you know, well, after the vaccine, and let's hope it does not come back. It might, but you know, let's hope it is not. They were like, okay, well, we've ended polio. What are we going to do next? And so then, you know, so then they decided what they were going to work on next and said, this is what we're going to tackle. And they actually decided to tackle something much more ambitious that they've not yet achieved. But, you know, they, they, they'd still, they were kind of like, you know, we've, we've built, we've built this infrastructure. So now let's do some planning and figure out how we can use this infrastructure in a way that that's close to what our original mission is. Exactly. And I bet that involved a strategic plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel pretty confident. They were like, okay, how are we going to do this? Yep, Exactly. So when one of your member organizations reaches out to you about strategic planning, what are some things that you do to kind of just make sure they're ready to plan? 
Well, you know what's interesting, Dolph? I mean, we we deal with organizations from like really nascent startups to I mean, like like hi, we just got together and want to start a center, all the way to the Los Angeles LGBT Center, that's the largest LGBT organization in the world over five decades of existence. So it's a big span of organizations, but where we spend a lot of our time is with small and medium organizations. Um, and what we find a lot of times is they want a plan and they think that they're ready to do a strategic plan and they're really not. Because I think a lot of people don't fully understand what a full-blown strategic plan is. And as a result, we try and talk them through it and say, you know, you need a plan. We're not we're not disputing that in the least that we totally want to help you with that. And so maybe it's a bridge plan for an organization that's gone through a lot of, you know, tumultuous times or a lot of change and and they've got a brand new board and a brand new leader or an interim leader. You know, doing a strategic plan might not be the best idea at that particular point. So maybe it's a bridge plan to get them from point A to point B. Maybe it's strategic visioning. So maybe that's where they want to go get that strategic visioning in place and then have a short term plan to kind of get to the point where they're ready to do that full blown strategic plan. So it really is a lot of Q&A, a lot of understanding where the organization is, what work they've done in the past together, because, you know, a good strategic plan is about a lot of working with each other and respecting each other and each other's ideas and being willing to broaden your your thoughts. Um, and if you don't have that sort of communication and trust within the organization established, it's hard to establish it during a strategic plan, right? Hopefully you'll strengthen it, but but to establish it, it it's hard. So I think it's really about um, you know where they are in their life cycle, where they are in, in terms of just their sort of ethos, if you will, <laughs> their, their being, and then what is it that they really need? What strategic element do they need if it's a full-blown strategic plan, great. That takes a lot longer. Um, if they're looking for something immediate, then maybe we're going to look at sort of a strategic bridge plan, strategic visioning, something where it's a little less intense, but still is kind of coming out with that same product, which is that that plan, right? That plan of what they're going to do, whether it's for a year, six months, whatever that time is to carry them over to get to that next point. So that's where we spend a lot of time. So I love where you're going with that. I will share with you that on many occasions, I've said to an organization, yeah, you're not ready for a full strategic plan, whatever, transitional issues, whatever's going on. But I've referred to it as a tactical plan, not a bridge plan. I love this concept of a bridge plan because it gets you somewhere else. It's carrying you over, right? That sort of shark infested water. <laughs> It's, yes, that's how I've always viewed it. That it's it's that bridge that's going to get you over the sharks, uh, to that next piece of land where hopefully you're ready. And again, still may not be ready for that full blown plan, but maybe now we're we're ready for a little bit more intense plan to get you to that next point where maybe now we're ready. And and maybe that's part of the plan, right? Is that you're getting yourself ready for the strategic plan. Um, so so that's kind of where that that phrase came in for us. And and so I'm just curious. Did you all come up with that phrase? Did did you run across it somewhere? Because again, I love that the bridge plan idea. I don't know. I honestly, I don't know where it came from. Um, I don't know if my one of my old CEOs used it. I don't know if it if it just sort of came up because mm -hmm. I had no other word to use at the time. I don't remember, but it's just sort of where we where we ended up. I mean, the other thing I really like about that concept of a bridge plan is that yeah, you're probably not going to get the same stakeholder feedback and input that you would in a 
full strategic plan, but all you're trying to do is figure out how are we going to get past where we're at right now, this crisis, so that we can do something else in the future. And so that is really where you kind of just probably need some, as you said, strategic visioning, but 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 also just, you know, some expertise around, okay, organizations that experience this type of an issue can do the following things to move themselves forward. Which of these things do you want to do? Right. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I can pretty confidently say most of the times it's around fundraising. It's around financial management. It's around getting a board together, like a, a solid board, not just people that are willing and breathing, right? But but people who actually maybe we're being a little more strategic about, about who we're bringing on the board and or we're going to review our programming. Is this really what we need to be doing? It, it also depends on have you gone through crisis? Have you lost the community's trust? If so, then maybe it's about communication. So there's a lot of elements that come into play. You know, the, the, your question was, what are you talking about with centers when they, when they come to you? And that's a lot of it is where are you internally and externally with your community? And, and so what do we need to focus on and get your organization focused on that that is going to help you get out of the, the quicksand? I, I love that. That it's truly incredible. And so I'm curious now when you when you're working with an organization to do with a center to do more of a, a full planning process, um, what are some what are some ways they benefit that maybe they were not expecting? So obviously they're expecting a plan, right? You know, but what other things do they often end up getting or benefiting from? I think a lot of it is the the camaraderie, the the thinking at a strategic level. And this is what I see a lot of boards don't get to do. They don't get to spend the time thinking at that strategic level. Um, and again, for a little more advanced organizations, this is where we try and get them. Because really, that's what the board should be doing, right? They should be thinking at that strategic level. But those aren't the conversations they're having. They're focusing on the finance reports and the the gala that's coming up. And they're getting involved in the in the minutia and the strategic plan allows them to do a little bit of that, but then take it to that strategic level and start thinking that way. So, you know, the things I'll usually hear is, you know, this really gave us a chance to to come together as a group and, and talk about things that we don't usually talk about, which is frightening. Don't get me wrong. It's frightening. They don't talk about these things, but, but at least now they've started um, and they've recognized the things that they need to be talking about. So there's that. And and I think it's that unified vision because with board members, you know, with, with rotation, people come in at different times. So when, when that group is has all come together and agreed on a plan and, and they're all moving in the same direction, it's their chance to actually be unified in that movement that they all came up with. Nobody else, they didn't just come in, get handed a book and be told, this is our, or, this is where we're going. You actually had a hand in in putting that together. So it's the ownership, it's the buy-in, um, it's a camaraderie. And I think those are the things that really help. You know, and in most planning processes, you've got like a committee or work group of board members. So it's not the full board doing all the work. Right. But it's been my experience also that those work group members are the people who suddenly understand the organization better than any other board member. Mm-hmm. So it's like these are the ones who suddenly are like, oh, yeah, I talk to a funder or I talk to clients or, you know, in, in reviewing financials, I'm not a finance person, but in reviewing the financials, I learned the following things about this organization. And they bring that with them for the next couple of years to board meetings. Absolutely. And stakeholders, you know, hearing from the clients and and the people in the community, the impact that the organization has had. That a lot of times as, as CEOs and executive directors, maybe we don't do a great job of communicating that feedback. So to have them hear that 
it gives them a sense of pride that they didn't have before. So I agree with you. All the things that you said, and and I think also community stakeholder impact is is really big. Yeah, and along those lines, and and this also is a you know equity and inclusion issue. About maybe three years or so ago, one of the things that that Lexi and I learned is that we we have to do staff focus groups with every strategic plan that we do. And we actually have gotten some pushback from some, frankly, progressive organizations who are like, oh, we don't think it's that important. And yeah, and I'll share with you, we had one, one group that convinced us it was not necessary. And we'll never, ever, ever, ever be convinced again that it's not necessary. Because, you know, when it came time for the plan to actually roll out, staff were like, well, wait a minute. Senior leadership was involved, but not the staff actually doing the work. And, you know, j- just to know that you've been heard and see your voice in the plan somewhere is really important. And so, like, Lex and I, when we walked away from that one, we're like, our lesson learned is never again. If someone says, uh, no, don't talk to staff, we'll be like, well, yeah, we're not for you. We're not the right, we're not the right consultants. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think sometimes that's born out of ignorance. Other times I think they take that staff uh, board split to to a degree that, that really harms the strategic plan because it it's really a misunderstanding about that whole, you know, staff and board shouldn't be working together, yeah. Yeah. you know, on day-to-day things. Well, yeah, but I think this is the one exception where they need to really hear from the staff on about what that day-to-day thing is that they not, might not be aware of. So, yeah. And I'll also share with you, I mean, this certainly has been our experience that for the most part, it's not the board that's doing the focus group. So like if you bring consultants in, it'll be your consultants. So there's still there's still a little bit of a of a wall, you know, between the the staff and the board. So it does get filtered, um, you know, and, and yeah, that does mean then it gets filtered through consultants and, you know, we're subjective as well, but it still gets filtered. So, so it's not the raw, oh my gosh, this is one person's really, really angry with the executive director and that's all that's all they're going to talk about is how angry they are with the executive director okay yeah i could see why maybe that might not be what you want you know you want board members to be exposed to but as consultants we can kind of look at that and go okay what's the underlying issue and then how do we present this in a way that it's supportive of the organization and leadership and not detrimental to yeah and, and you would think because i do serve as a board member on a center right i i want to hear those things because if you're not willing to hear them when they're offered to you, 10 to 1, you're going to be hiring a consultant later on down the line because because now you have to. And that's it's kind of a, a, a bonus that comes out of the strategic planning process, I would say. Yeah. I will also share with you one of the things I've loved about when, we, when we've when done the staff focus groups is staff in the groups. Because, again, we don't do them one-on-one. They're, you know, a typical breakup. If an organization has 50 staff, you know, we'll probably do six groups or seven groups. So, and staff are also interacting with each other as part of this focus group. And so uh, there, there's this one really memorable moment in a focus group where, so someone had said, you know, we'd, we'd like to get more acknowledgement and recognition from management for the work that we do. So I was go, what does this look like for you? One person's like, a pizza party would be nice. And then someone else says, if I have to go to a pizza party, I'm going to quit. Well, you know, but what I loved about that is now staff were hearing, oh, okay, just because pizza party is what I want doesn't mean that's what everybody wants. And so maybe it can't be a one-size-fits-all. And I loved that, that staff then got to kind of experience that and go, oh, this, this, is, why, this is why recognition can be so hard. <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's a great story. And so as, as you start to prepare for your board retreat, what are some of the things you're thinking about in, in, in order to have a retreat that's really impactful? 
Well, first of all, I think you need to get an outside facilitator. It doesn't work if it's the ED or the board chair running it because they don't get to participate. And and a successful retreat is really giving everybody a chance to, to participate. So um, I, I think making sure that you've factored in that cost and factored in that that person is really important. And then, you know, you want to get the right person, the person that's going to gel, um, that's going to be able to handle multiple personalities and potential conflict and start that in advance. Get the, Get that right person have an agenda, have a plan, but but also, you know, leave time for the unknown. Things come up during strategic plans. Things come up during retreats that you might not have even considered that all of a sudden might be a big aha moment for, for everybody in the room. Um, and you don't want to be on such a tight timetable that you can't explore those things. Um, you know, I talked earlier about that, that openness to to new ideas. And and so if, if that truly is going to be part of this whole planning process, then you have to allow time for it. So I, I think that's that's really important. And then just making sure that everybody, look, I'm not a tremendous fan of like group agreements. I, I'm just not personally, but I think they're important because some people need them. And so having those group agreements that are going to allow for that and making sure that, that you know, that facilitator is able to help the group move towards an agreed upon goal and that everybody, everybody's open and, and willing and comes ready to participate. I can't tell you how many times we've done this. And it's like, oh, by the way, James can't come. Well, why? Like, it, th- there's, there's got to be that commitment. There's got to be that investment in the organization. So really making this that, that thing that people want to come to and that they do come to and that everybody participates. Because that one person who doesn't participate has now, is now kind of like behind the group. They're they're not in that group and and that makes it really difficult. So those are kind of my my main things that, yeah. that I hope for. And and I'll share with you in my experience that one person who does not participate when we when when as part of the planning process we also look at board attendance. That's often your chronically absent board member or you know it's your board member who only shows up by Zoom and it's really when when it's not a when it's not a remote retreat, it's really tough to be the only person on Zoom in a retreat. It's really tough. Yep, it is. It is very tough. And then there's the question: well, Will you record it? No, like <laughs> it's uh, it's it's got to be that comfortable space where people can say what they want without fear that's going to be recorded and live in posterity. You know, right. I mean, it's and so for that reason, I don't like having a person attend by Zoom or anybody. I mean, we're, now that we're out of the the Zoom uh, time of our lives we can do away with that element of it when it comes to these sorts of, of gatherings. Cause there is something about being together in person about taking the lunch break together and breaking bread together. And, you know, it, there's, it, it creates a whole different atmosphere and, and, and just um, ecosystem for the board and, and the staff to work together. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I will also say recording the entire retreat, who's really going to go back and watch a seven hour recording? No one, right? no one. Yep. Except if somebody said something and then they'll go back to find it. But yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Like something happened in the third hour. Let me go find <laughs> yep, that. I'm going to clip exactly. that now. No, I, yeah, I'm right. Th- I am right there with you. That That's how they do it. But they're not going to do it for anything that's useful or productive for the board. They're going to do it for something yep. that's not productive. A hundred percent agree. One, one of the other things you said, and this has been one of, you know, frankly, one of my key learnings as a consultant is um, also making that space for the unknown. Just knowing that, okay, if you have a seven hour retreat, you can't, you can't plan six hours and 55 minutes. There's going to be something that comes up or a conversation that needs to take 30 minutes more than you thought it was going to take. Yep. It's inevitable. Yeah. And, and it's Murphy's law too. 
it is Murphy's Law. If you if you allow time for it, it may not happen. But if you don't allow time for it, it definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I will share with you one of the interesting tricks that I've kind of learned over the last few years, is especially when we're at an impasse, is to say, okay, you know, can we get a small group that's going to work on this later? And, you know, and, and make sure we get multiple voices. So it's not just, okay, you know, group that wants A and not group that wants B. Um, you know, but can we get a small group? Can we get two, three, four people to work on this and bring it back? And then they work through it. And this is especially true, like, when organizations get stuck around their mission, you know, because 15 people can't write a mission statement. Right. They can't. Right. And, and I, so I think this is where really the, the split happens between the small organization and the larger organization. Yeah. Because I've worked with the small organizations where I have stopped the whole process because they couldn't come up with a vision. And and I gave them overnight. We came back the second day and I said, okay, we are not moving forward because if you all can't decide where you're going, like mm-hmm. none of this matters. Yeah. <laughs> none of this is going to make any sense because you're not leading to any, like you, you said, sitting in the driveway going to California, right? You haven't even decided where you're going. <laughs> So there's no way to plan what rest stop right. we're going to stop at if, if you don't even know where we're, what direction we're headed. And so with a small group, you can do that. With a larger group, again, now you've got 15, 20 people trying to create something. So I think that's where with the larger groups, that small strategic planning, smaller committee that's going to do a lot of that work in advance and kind of get those things so that then it's just presenting it to the board for you know, maybe any minor suggestions or tweaks, but basically it's just for approval. And now we can move on to the to the bigger planning. So I think a lot of this depends on the size of your organization, where you are in your growth life cycle. It's really, it's so different. And, and that's something I had to learn coming in. You know, as you mentioned, nonprofit was my fourth career. I was used to some corporate stuff and it just kind of was what it was. And you moved on and that it was all decided for you. So it's really learning the nuances of, of the, the really small organization, the medium size and the larger ones and, and how those all work very different. Yeah. Yeah. And I will also say, I mean, obviously size does not necessarily imply where an organization is, is in its life cycle, but along those lines also like where it is in the life cycle. You know, is it a startup? Is it, you know, been going really well and but not growing or, you know, is it has it just had an incredibly amazing growth spurt? Right. Exactly. And, and with all of those, it's so different. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. So Denise, you, you mentioned just as I did that you've had four careers. And so this makes me think of the off the map question. So you've had four careers. And by the way, again, I've known you for about a decade, maybe longer. I was blown away. I did not, I did not until I was doing the research for this. I didn't realize you're a great grandparent. Like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Yes. I was like, wow. But so, so you've had four careers. What line runs through them all? People. You know, I, I was a psychology major and, and it's really funny because I was, I was very fortunate and blessed and, and privileged um, that I was in a position where, where my father, who had not come from that background, had, had made a commitment that he was going to send his kid to college. And, mm. and so he did. And, and I, my college was paid for and I didn't have to worry about that. And and that was, I, I acknowledge that's a place where a lot of people aren't. Uh, but I came out with a psychology degree. And as I went into my fourth career, my father's like, and, and your psychology degree helped you how? Like, <laughs> but it, it did, you know, because what I learned through psychology about relating to people and how people relate to each other. And that has run through everything I've done, whether it's 
how do you communicate something to people when they can't see you? Um, how do you communicate something to people when they can see you? It's something they don't want to hear. So it, it's really, it's about people and, and the just the whole way of communication. So I, so I could say people and I could also say communication because it really is both. Um, but two things that, that really I've, I've spent a lifetime on and, and, and really love. And if you indulge me for just a moment, I will tell you that in my senior year, I went to a nonprofit job fair with one of my close friends uh, in DC and Ralph Nader was the keynote speaker um, for those of us of a certain age who remember, remember Ralph Nader. And we both got on the Metro afterwards and looked at each other. And I said, oh, my God, that was the most depressing thing I've ever been to. I will <laughs> never, ever work in nonprofit. Um, and here I am. So uh, I think nonprofits come a long way. But I think it's still, you know, with most nonprofit organizations, it's about people and communication and helping people. And that's uh, that's it. And I, I just I feel terrible that Ralph Nader was such a bad keynote speaker. They're like, that's just depressing. I can't. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I can't say that Ralph was bad. I could just say he didn't dig it out of of where we were at that point. Wow. So, um, That's but awesome. I think you know that that was the late eighties. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was just a time where there was a lot of not great stuff happening, and I think that was reflected in in sort of where the nonprofits were. It was just it was a tough time. So, yeah, and and admittedly the. The nonprofit sector was in a really unique and unusual transition. It was professionalizing in the 80s. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But but a lot of it was just about misery and gloom. And it's, it, it was not what a young college graduate wanted to hear. So, <laughs> so that's all. So instead, you went to Voice of America. You're like, all right, I'll go be a broadcaster. Exactly. I, I love broadcasting. It's where my heart was and, and, uh, and, and in some ways always will be. But uh, but but again, you know. It depends how you look at what you're doing, but to me, that was always a vehicle of helping people and communicating with them. With them, and and for some, even if it's that one person who had the radio on and was having a horrible day, and maybe you brought a smile to their face because you said the right thing or you played the right song, that to me was was how how I could sort of go home feeling good that day. And that carried over into retail. Hmm. That carried over into executive recruiting, where maybe I could change somebody's life by getting them the job they always wanted, or that was going to change their life. So it, it, there's, that's what that's what carries through is how can you best help people to do what they want to do, to achieve what they want to achieve, to to be what they want to be. So, I love well, what an amazing line to have run through your entire career. That's it's, awesome. I've, I've been very fortunate. I really have. Denise, thank you so much for coming on. I am so grateful that you did. Again, you you are a subject matter expert in strategic planning. And through through your work and through Centerlink, you have helped so many organizations, not just with planning, but with leadership development as well. And um, and so I'm grateful for the work you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dolphin. Thank you for being there because there's a number of times we can't do it and we need somebody to turn to and and you're there. And so you 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 continue to be uh, from your time being an executive director and and continuing to work with us at Centerlink, just uh, just a great uh, resource and friend, and uh, and I really appreciate having you. Well, thank you, and listeners, if you want to know how to get a hold of Denise or you want to learn more about Centerlink, go to lgbtcenters.org. I also just want to share with you that there is a biennial. I think that means once every other year, but so every other year there's an incredible state of the centers report. 
And you, if you are an LGBTQ plus center, you definitely want to go to lgbtcenters.org and download that report. If you want to see how you benchmark against all of the other centers around the country, this is the report for you. And and I, before we got on, Denise and I, really before we started recording, Denise and I were talking about it. And I said that one of the things I always love to do with that report when I'm doing an interim at an LGBT center is to essentially literally just take, print the report out and then write where this center is at and then send it to the board. So that way the board can look and go, oh my gosh, this is, this is how we compare to all the other centers. These are some things we could be doing. These are some things we're doing really great. This is helpful. So please make sure you check out that report as well at lgbtcenters.org. Yeah, the brand new 2022 one is going to be released this October. So we're really excited about it. Th- that's awesome. And I think this episode releases toward the end of October. So it's timely. I love that. That's great. Thank you. And listeners, if you found this conversation useful on strategic planning and you want more, there's two episodes I think you should consider. One is episode 213, The Magic of Strategic Plans with Leanna Downey. And the second episode to think about downloading and listening to is episode 261, Supercharge Your Strategic Plan with Rebecca Staplewax. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And the lawyers make me say this, even though I don't think we talked about anything that was tax, legal, or accounting. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm also not an accountant. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. I say this all the time. If you need tax, legal, or accounting advice, don't get it from a podcast. Don't even get it from the internet. What you should do is find a licensed, qualified professional and have a conversation with them. If you're not sure what type of professional you should be having a conversation with, you could reach out to me. I'm happy to help you figure that piece out.